Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. Visit our, our theme that we have had all year. We each year we kind of have a theme and we emphasize it now and then. And this year it has been uh, to trust more and to fear less. And uh, we're going to revisit this for the final time today. We chose um, this theme this year because of how the the culture of fear that spiked with the COVID pandemic. You know, it wasn't just a COVID pandemic. It was a, in a real sense, there was a, a panic of fear. Fear spiked in our culture. And it seems that, you know, there's always sort of a, a culture of fear out there. You know, the pharmaceutical companies, medical companies, they, they sell fear. You know, in lawyers, that sort of thing. And the, the, the MSM, right, the, the mainstream media cannot get by without fear. Uh, they need something to to capture you, you know what I mean, and they, they, they it's so fear is sold, fear is, uh, fear is used, and uh, it wasn't just the COVID virus either, uh, it, you know, it wasn't this this fear pandemic wasn't just the virus, and the fear of death, but there was just a lot of other things that came with it, uh, you know, the fear of what was going to happen. To the economy, I remember that. No, two weeks to slow the spread. Well, what's going to happen to the economy, especially after it just kind of drug on and on? Uh, there was a, a fear of just the overall direction that our our country was going with the Marxism and all that. But uh, beyond that, right? Then you 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 throw on all of the lesser fears that we struggle with day to day, right? So a lesser fear maybe being. Uh, Public speaking, right? We all have these little fears in our lives. Did you know, well, it depends on the study you look at, but did you know that the fear, public speaking is number one fear in America? Isn't that, isn't that interesting? I, I, it used to be one of my greatest fears, but God kind of forced me to get over that a little bit more. Uh, I'm not saying I don't sense it now and then, but uh, uh, yeah, actually, Number one fear, fear of public speaking. Uh, death was number two or somewhere else down the line. <laughs> so um, why would we fear public speaking? Why would we fear public speaking? Well, typically it's because we're afraid of humiliation. We're afraid we'll stumble over our words. We're afraid that you know we'll, we'll be rejected by someone in the crowd because we want to be accepted, that sort of thing. So we have a, a fear. We care what people think of us. So even though you might not fear COVID, my point is you, you still have other fears that you wrestle with, that you're working through. So fear uh, is universal. We're going to look at a few reasons why, why again. Why even study this topic? Fear is universal, number one. Uh, fear was the first response Adam and Eve had in the garden. What did they do? They, they ran and they hid, right? It was when fear entered in. I don't think it's the way we were meant to live. It's not the state we were meant to live in. It's a part of the curse. 
Uh, they started to cover themselves with fig leaves. So again, we're their descendants, so there's no escaping it. Now we might, uh, actually we might fear fear. Uh, we might fear failure. I know that's uh, typically men's greatest fear is the fear of failure, not being able to provide, uh, show themselves a man. Maybe uh, many people live in fear of missing out. They call that FOMO, fear of missing out. Uh, we fear the loss of our jobs or homes or other things. This week, I, was, I found myself fearing the loss of our power. You know, we don't have a generator. So I was like, oh, no, what if the power goes out? Oh, wait, yeah, God's still in control. Great. You know, <laughs> but you, you fear these little things. And then secondly, fear is limiting. Um, fear is limiting. Uh, I don't have a PowerPoint slide for that. But uh, it, it came out this morning. Fear is limiting because of fear. Many people never... Um, reach their full potential or they never blossom in creativity because of a fear of maybe stepping out of their comfort zones. You can uh, be afraid of, you know, the the higher levels of work or education required to uh, keep uh, blossoming or fulfilling your, you know, your your purpose. And uh, so fear is a dream killer. We might be afraid to do what uh, Christ has called us to. Maybe you really sense God has called me to do this or that, and yet your fear holds you back. What if this happens? What if that happens? Well, I used to have a fear of public speaking. It's still a little lingers there a little bit, but uh, I, you know, God calling me to preach. Am I going to let that fear hold me back? So uh, again, fear is is just. It can keep you from following Christ because when you follow Christ, you're going to be different. I don't want people to, you know, it matters. People look at me. Uh, they, 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 they develop uh, different perceptions about me. Do I want that or not? Uh, I might fear being rejected. I might fear failing at uh, whatever, whatever I'm called to. So fear, uh, it limits us. It kills our, our, our dreams. It kills our, our walk with the Lord. It quenches the Holy Spirit and our walk with Him. He didn't give us a spirit of fear, timidity but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline, right? And then you've got uh, how fear is harmful or unhealthy, you could say. That's all I mean by that. It's just unhealthy for us, for our, for our bodies. It's been said fear and anxiety place more stress on our body than physical exercise or fatigue uh, because that's, that's all connected, right? Your, your physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological, all that's connected, and we were just talking about this in Sunday school and the conscience and how a guilty conscience can affect our entire body. Uh, the different side effects that it has. I read one statistic that said two-thirds of physical illnesses are due to emotional stress like fear. Again, that's a statistic. I don't, I don't know how, you know, you know, you know those things, right? You can find whatever you want, you know, to affirm your idea. But think about it. A lot of our physical illnesses are due to emotional stresses like fear, anxiety. One of the major drivers for suicides today. And uh, again, another reason why we decided to focus on this is because a majority of Americans would admit that the COVID pandemic and everything that came with it had a significant impact on their mental health. I, I know I was feeling it for a while there. Like it, it was hard, right? It made you want to bury your head in the sand at times, just looking at everything going on. Um, third, or I think it's fourth now, but uh, fear is paralyzing. Fear is paralyzing. The other day, I was on my way into town, 
and standing, this was just a couple weeks ago, but standing in the middle of my lane on the highway, as I'm, I'm barreling down the highway going 65, I, you know, I get to this typical deer crossing spot, and there's a, a white-tailed buck standing right in the middle of the highway. You know, and he's, he's obviously locked on this doe that's over here in the ditch, and he's not going anywhere, but you know, it's just what the rut makes him stupid this time of year. But, but he's just standing in the highway, and the closer I get to him, right, he realizes I'm going to hit him. No, I'm slowing down, but he's, he freaks out, right? He, he, he freaked out, and he, he, he started to, he tried to run off the highway, and he, he was so frightened that you know how their hooves are on the highway, right? They just don't really go anywhere. They're not getting traction, he was just spinning his wheels, basically, on the highway, trying to run off. He would have been better off just looking at the car and saying, oh, I better, I better get off the highway, and then just walk off, because he just kind of looked foolish. He was spinning his wheels. Well, um, that reminded me of the effect that fear and worry has on us. You know, there's a lot of activity, internal and external maybe, but there's a whole lot of going nowhere. You don't go anywhere. You're not developing. So God did, now God, I know God did build within us like an alarm system, a fear alarm system that, you know, to save our lives, to tell us to get out of the way when a vehicle's coming. But we were not made to live in that state of fear uh, like they tried to do in 2020, right? You were not made to live in that state, and you realized it right away. In fact, many of us are just kind of apathetic to the whole thing now because we lived in it for so long that we just disconnected. No, no. COVID, what's COVID? Who cares, right? That's, that's a typical response. But anyway, when, when fear overcomes us, we tend to now shrink back and isolate. I remember a sermon John preached last summer, I think it was, talking about the boogeyman under the bed, you know, the monster under the bed. You know, okay, hide under the covers. I'm not getting out of bed to turn the light off. Why? There might be a monster under the bed. He might grab my ankles. So it isolates you, you know. You you shrink up, you shrivel up. Take, you know, take, take an entire generation of Israelites out in the wilderness, for example, in Numbers 13 and 14. Even though they saw God's power and glory and how he carried them, they feared the inhabitants of Canaan. You know, they, just, they just watched God crush the Egyptians, you know, this most powerful nation. And then they come into the land of Canaan a few days later, and they're afraid? They crippled them. They spent 40 years in the wilderness because of their fear. God says, you, God said to them, don't be shocked nor fear them. Right? Because I've carried you. And he says, I'm going to be with you. I've carried you in the past. Here's what it says. But Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 33 says, But they did not trust the Lord. And so 40 years they spent in the wilderness. Um, maybe we are spending time in the wilderness too because of our own fears. Uh, next, fear is just plain unattractive. Unattractive. Seriously, fear makes us... I'm not, I'm not talking physically here, but, you know, it just makes us unattractive to be around as people. You know, it just makes us unpleasant to be around. For one, it makes us negative and complaining, self-centered, busybodies. It, it just does. Fearful people have a hard time relaxing. They have a hard time enjoying life, maybe accepting themselves or loving others, because they're so concerned with what might happen. 
to them or to someone else, or maybe they're afraid of what, what people might think of them. I'm not going to step out and serve them. What, what are they going to think of me? You know, what, what might happen? Just There's a line around every corner for some people. Uh, second, fear is unattractive because it, it, others just don't want to be around the sort of high stress levels all the time. It just isn't attractive to others. You know, they, they tend to push others away and intentionally, but sometimes unintentionally, like, it's just not pleasant to be around someone who's frightened all the time or worried all the time. Uh, it's not attractive to others and especially unbelievers because what's it telling unbelievers? Like, I'm a Christian, but I'm, I'm living in fear. What's that telling other people? Well, either my God isn't real or He's not very big or He can't help us very much. Yeah, so He just isn't able to be trusted with and help us with our problems. I think that's what it says. And I, I don't share all of this to give us something to fear this morning, but to help us realize that none of us escapes fear. We can't avoid it, and it does affect our lives in some very substantial ways. And by the way, most of the things we fear will never happen to us. There's some research that says somewhere around, you know, it's all the statistics I've saw were like above 90%. You know, 90% and above of the things that you think are going to happen to you don't happen to you. Like things that you fear, they just, they don't ever happen. That's why Jesus said, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. <laughs> you know, um, God's got it. God's going to take care of you. But since we can't avoid fear, here's what we've got to do. We've got to learn how to counsel ourselves and others with the Word of God. So we aren't, we aren't to downplay our fears. We shouldn't ignore our fears. We should use God's Word to counsel us through them. So you shouldn't just unplug from them, pretend like they're not there. Let's use God's word and let's counsel ourselves with it. And today we're going to see that there's one good fear. There's a good fear, actually, that drives out all other fears. And um, so just like if I, if I have a cup of water, I really wanted, I should have had a cup of water up here and a rock. But if I have a, if I have a cup of water up here and I put a rock in it, that rock is going to displace the water that was in that cup, you know, so it's a heavier, weightier object. That's, that's fluid mechanics, right? Uh, takes you back to, you know, your little science experiments in high school. If you put a rock anywhere in water, it displaces the water that was there, and now the rock is there, and the water can't be there. Well, uh, I like to think of a, a rock in the ocean, and the ocean and the crushing waves, even the ocean you know how like powerful the ocean is, can be displaced by a rock. Well, we're going to look at God as our rock today that helps displace our fears. That's what we're going to look at from Daniel chapter 4. The context uh, is, uh, is the Israelites. They've been exiled from their homeland, um, Jerusalem, Judea. They've been taken to uh, Babylon in modern uh, day Iraq, and they find themselves living in a foreign world. This is a whole different world. It's a different culture. They speak a different tongue. And um, they are basically wrestling with all of that. They've been transported, exiled, taken into captivity into a whole different place, different culture, different gods, different food, and they're wrestling with that. And I kind of feel like we're in a similar situation just because of all the different changes that are taking place in our world and society and 
and, and culture. You know, we're kind of wrestling with all of that too. What do we do with that? But um, here's the main theme in Daniel, or one of the main themes, is that even though they're not in the land of Israel anymore, and they're in Babylon, does that mean God's not there anymore? Or that he can't be there too? Right? So that's what Daniel is saying. Like, even though uh, they've been exiled, they're not in the land anymore. They're in Babylon. God is still sovereign. Okay, he's in Babylon too. Like, he was not limited to the temple. In fact, Daniel and some of the, some of the latter prophets, uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they're like one of the main theme in these prophets is God's still sovereign. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar's just, you know, his tool, you know, <laughs> the rod of his anger that he used to punish the Jews for their disobedience. So he's sovereign over Nebuchadnezzar, even the, the, the you know, the, the king of the world's superpower at the time. So uh, Daniel, he was a higher up. He became, he was transported to Babylon, but he became a higher up in the, in the kingdom there because of the wisdom and insight God gave him. And uh, here he records some events that happened. Uh, uh, one of them that we're going to read about today is a, a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. So let's read verses 4 through 27. Uh, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and uh, flourishing in my palace, he says. I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these uh, fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. So they renamed Daniel Belteshazzar after a, you know, one of their gods. And, and in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, uh, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen along with its interpretation. Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large, and it became strong, and its height reached to the sky and it was visible to the end of the whole earth its foliage was beautiful and its fruit was abundant and in it was food for all and the beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches and all the living creatures uh, fed themselves from it and i was looking in the visions in my mind as i lay on my bed and behold an angelic watcher a holy one descended from heaven and he shouted out and spoke as follows Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet, leave the stump with its roots in the ground, with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. And let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and a decision 
The decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and he bestows it on whomever he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. And then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while. As his thoughts alarmed him, the king responded and said, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar replied, My lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. He's he's, he's fearing for his life here because he doesn't want to give uh, Nebuchadnezzar the king bad news, but here it is. The tree that you saw, verse 20, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth and whose foliage was, was beautiful and its fruit was abundant and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and whose branches the birds of the sky lodged, it is you, O king. For you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the end of the earth. In that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Isn't that great? It's heaven that rules. How comforting today, huh? In a world with all these uh, terrible leaders. Um, He bestows it on whomever he wishes. It's heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, May my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. So, quite a, quite a lengthy passage uh, to read through. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, right? A lot of it's kind of repetitive, but Nebuchadnezzar has this dream where it, it represents him and his kingdom reigning over all the earth, but then... This angelic being comes down from heaven and shouts to just chop it down. Cut the tree down. And then it's banded with, with iron. I think and it wasn't bronze or something. Like a band's put around it. It's actually kept from growing. So uh, for seven years. And Daniel reveals the reason for the dream. And it's that Nebuchadnezzar thinks that he's God. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's God. We know this not only from this passage but also from Isaiah, Isaiah, in one of the descriptions of Satan, actually, uh, it's kind of a parallel between Nebuchadnezzar and Satan, but Nebuchadnezzar says he wanted to make himself like the Most High God. That's verse 14 of chapter 14 of Isaiah. He wanted to be like the Most High. And uh, remember, this is the guy who 
I mean, a lot like other rulers in history and even today have set up these giant statues of themselves. Even Nero, Nero put up a statue of himself uh, right outside the Colosseum, just like uh, this guy did. But uh, he's the one who he sets up that giant statue and had ev- made everybody worship him. But uh, God is going to humble this man and make him realize God is God and he is not. Isn't that true? God is God and we are not. And it's interesting that while uh, Nebuchadnezzar has the dream and Daniel interprets it for him, he still doesn't humble himself in light of it. It's actually one year later, God fulfills the dream. Look at verses 28 through 33. All of this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king began speaking and was saying, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Oh, man, he's in trouble. (laughs) While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared... Sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the animals of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So he basically became like an animal. So because of his pride, he's reduced to an animal, essentially. Uh, and, you know, they, man and beast were created differently, right? And man has a conscience, and he's made in the image of God and a personality and can respond to God, whereas an animal basically has uh, instinct. Well, Nebuchadnezzar basically loses his sanity. God removes his sanity, that side of him, and he becomes like an animal. And we can, honestly, we can dive into the annals of history where similar things have happened to others. There's actually a, uh, there's a name for this kind of sort of thing where this happens to people. But uh, let's just be honest with Nebuchadnezzar here and how this happened to him. He really wasn't sane before this happened. Was Nebuchadnezzar sane, living under the delusion and irrationality that that he was God? Right. So basically, if we lightly define insanity as someone living irrationally or living in delusion and not in accordance with reality, what really is? Well, that's Nebuchadnezzar. He was living in the irrational, under the irrational, delusional thought that he was in control of the world. He was not living in reality. You could say he was insane. He was mad. And insanity has been described as that. And, and living against the grain of reality. Insanity, living against the grain of reality. And, and what happens when you do that? When you live against the grain of reality, the way God really designed things to operate? You reap what you sow, right? See, we don't bend. We don't bend the laws of this world that God, God, uh, God basically put into it, right? If you think you can fly, you're going to go home and you're going to jump off your 
the roof of your house today, who's going to get hurt? You or gravity, right? And you're going to learn pretty quick that you can't fly, even though you think you can, even though you want to. Right? You're delusional if you think you can fly. So you get burned by it, right? So uh, go against the grain, you get splinters. In the same way, it's insane in a similar way, right? It's, it's insane to think, guys, that we can live as we want when we didn't make ourselves or create the reality in which we live. God has fixed according to his character these natural laws that do not change, and to ignore them or to live against them is going to be harmful to us. Again, it goes back to reaping and sowing. But when we live without the reality of God, like our culture is trying to do, pretending that morals and truth don't exist, this idea that everything's relative and flexible, whatever, we become a lot like animals. Isn't that what happens? If you live without morals and ethics, what do you do? What's the difference between you and an animal? I mean, it's just in the way that you're acting. You're just live driven by your lusts, your cravings. Uh, I think there's, that's the kind of symbolism that's going on here. God is only confirming how Nebuchadnezzar was acting. So here's really what I want to get at, and it's, you know, it's, it's that you could, you could say that when we're living in a fear, when we're living in an anxious state, we're not living in the light of reality either. What's the reality? The reality is that God is in control. If I'm sitting here trembling and living in fear, I'm not understanding God is in control. Right? So, so much of our fears, get this, come from our fear of losing control because like Nebuchadnezzar, we think we are God. So much of my fears come from my fear of losing control or fearing the loss of control, the loss of control that I never had to begin with. I fear losing my power. What am I going to do to control this? I better get a generator, you know, <laughs> so I can stay in control of my life. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, you know, but you get what I'm saying, how it's in you. Your fears, so much of your fears come from you trying to be God and trying to control things that you cannot control. They weren't yours to control to begin with. I'm going to fear the loss of my life, my possessions, my house, my job, my health, my reputation, my significance, whatever it is. If I think I'm God. If I want to be God. So, so much of our fears come from us becoming our own little gods and fearing anything that threatens our reign. My reign, don't anything get in the way of my kingdom and my life. And if it does, I start to fear or I get angry, one or the other, right? Uh, we could fear a lot of things that threaten our reign. And it's, a lot of things do threaten it, right? Because we're not, we don't make good gods, let's just say that. Uh, we make poor gods. So we become like little gods, but then we also have false gods in our lives. We replace God with something, even if that God is our self. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. As soon as they become their own gods, fear entered the picture. Isn't that what Satan tempted them with? You can become like God. God's holding out on you. If you, you eat this right, God knows that you'll become like him. Basically, that was the temptation. 
And they did. They, they said, okay, we don't want God to rule over us. I'm not going to listen to him. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be my own God. And that had holistic ramifications for them. Physiological, emotional, spiritual, and it does to us. Fear started, guys, with the idea. Fear's here because of the idea. It started with the idea that man could be autonomous and do things his own way. It's the mindset that says, I don't need God, I can rule myself. But it doesn't work out very well for us because as long as we think that way, we, we fear what we think we're ruling over. I mean, even if I'm a believer and, and I refuse to surrender my life to the Lord, I'm still the sovereign in my life, right? I, can, I wrestle with this day to day, and I know you do too, and little decisions I'm making. Am I going to let God rule today, or am I going to rule today? See, if, if, I, if, God's, if I'm not going to surrender my life to God, if I'm not going to submit to His lordship, God is only going to be what? My supporting actor in my story that I'm writing. So God can actually be a threat. This is why a lot of people don't come to Christ, by the way, is because they're afraid that Jesus Christ is going to threaten their rule and their reign. He's going to make them change some things. They don't want that. Look at verses 34 through 37. We see the antidote uh, to fear. Uh, But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. Did you catch that? When he turned to heaven, his reason, rationality, returned to him. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. This is beautiful. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are of no account that He does according to His will among the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can fend off His hand and say, What have you done? No one can stop God. Verse 36, At that time my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the honor of my kingdom, and my state counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. And so I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Now, after those comments, I don't want to get into a debate here, but you think we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? See, in order for Nebuchadnezzar to be restored to health, he had to humble himself and fear God. It's exactly the problem with so much of what is going on in our society today. In order to be restored to health, he had to fear God. Remember David in Psalm 32. David soaked his couch with tears. We studied this in our uh, men's Sunday school this morning. Um, Not men's, adults. I guess it was only men there, huh? But um, Psalm 32. He soaks his couch with tears. He's groaning. He says, David says, my vitality was sapped from within me. Because he had, he had cheated on, he committed adultery and 
they killed the, the woman's husband. And he was just living in misery. And it's because God took the life out of him, right? He, he was grieving and you know, tried to hide his sin from God. But he says, as soon as I confessed my sin, my joy, my joy was restored. And uh, that's kind of what you see here. He turns to heaven. He fears God. See, Nebuchadnezzar quits acting like he's in charge, and, and, and he understands now that it's heaven that rules, that God is sovereign over his life. God is sovereign over his personhood and everything about him. And uh, how many of us can testify similarly uh, to this, right? Before God, we were like unthinking animals, you know, <laughs> just living again for the lust of the world and the flesh and whatever it was, trying to live without God, and, and you return to God, and God restores you to health, uh, mentally, and just in every way. I can testify to that. And you guys heard my testimony last week, right? It's pretty ugly. Um, what goes on in our hearts when we start to fear God is that the, the weighty rock that God is, He's put back in His proper place in our lives, and everything else starts to be displaced. Because of it. Okay? Fear of God drives out other fears because nothing compares to God. And glory has a weight to it. And that, that weight pushes everything else aside. Everything becomes subject to Him because God is all powerful. God's all wise and good and faithful. So, uh, point being, we can't displace fear with absence of fear. You can't just tell you, well, don't fear. Stop fearing. All right? And go to the counselor and he says, I'm struggling with this or that. Well, stop it. Quit, quit, just quit struggling with it. But we've got to replace our fear, displace our fear, so we can fear less if we have God in the right place in our lives. Fear of God is the antidote when you're living in a pandemic of fear. Fear of God displaces fear of everything else. Living in fear of God like we've been talking about, is living within the grain of reality. You stop going against God and the way He created things to be, and you start living in line with reality. And you, Again, He restores you. And the more that we... Actually, one man wrote this, to the extent to which we've lost the fear of God will increase our fear of everything else. You lose the fear of God, it increases your fear of everything else. Because you don't understand there's a sovereign God over it. The more that we learn about God, the more that we trust in God, the more that we obey God, get to know God, the less that we're going to experience some of these fears in our lives. Or they're, or they're going to be lessened. You know what I mean? They're going to be tamed. You're going to have more trust and less fear. This is why the Bible says over and over, I should have looked up the number of times that the Bible says this. How many times does the Bible say, fear not? Fear not, fear not, fear not. Don't be afraid. Every time an angel comes to talk to a man, what do they, what do they have to say? Don't be afraid. Fear not and don't be afraid. This is a good fear we're talking about here. To fear God. Uh, you know, our... Scott Mathis, our you know, president of the Brian Fellowship, he's pretty quotable. Uh, he says a lot of things that are quotable. But he said something the other day 
that was perfect for what we're talking about. This was something he posted. He said, in our world saturated, saturated, let me get this right, in our world saturated with constant crisis and drama, we have to learn to worship or we will go crazy. Basically, you have to learn to take your, your, your thoughts off the, the problems and focus back on the problem solver, the one who's in control, right? Whenever you feel like you're starting to fear, whenever you feel like you're starting to worry, just remember to look up. Keep looking up. Thank God for His sovereignty. You get on the news, and you, you right when you get done scrolling through the news, right? <laughs> remember to look up. Scroll back up to heaven and say, all right, this is junk, but God's still in control. After you get down, that's, that's kind of nice, right? After you get done scrolling down in your news feed, remember to scroll back up, all the way up to where God is. Right? Thank God for His sovereignty. And trust whatever it is in your life that's causing you to fear, anxiety, and trust it to Him. The Bible says to entrust yourself to Him, just like Jesus did. Um, I would, uh, you know, just further, furthering the application here, memorize some helpful verses that... Uh, sort of are along these lines, you know, that, that deal with fear. Learn to counsel yourself through God's Word. Get His Word into your mind. Uh, Psalm 56.3 says, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Pretty simple, right? I'll put my trust in you. It's Philippians 4.6. Classic. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. Here's what he says. The Lord is near. The Lord's at hand. And he's here today. Even when you're alone, you're locked up in your house on a Christmas Sunday or a, or a Sunday morning in a blizzard. The Lord's at hand. He's there too. He's with you. Why should you fear if God is right there and, and with you and in you? If the sovereign God's at hand, what do you have to fear? So... The Lord is near, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Peter would say, cast all your anxiety on Him. Cast it out there and cut the line. And if it reels back in, cut it and cast it out again. <laughs> Keep cutting the line, you know, until you're out of line. And the peace of God, you keep doing that, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, all understanding is going to guard your mind, hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that's really what I have to bring it back down to this morning, right? Is we have to bring this all back to Christ. Um, the biggest reason we need to fear God is because we are sinners and a proper fear of God uh, is going to lead us to Christ where our fears can be properly dealt with. You know, especially fears like the fear of death. You know, fear of God is provoked inside of us. And when we start to understand we are sinners, God is holy and righteous, and we are not. And that fear is a good fear that's meant to take you to Christ, uh, where you're going to find grace and love, right? And what kind of love is it? First John says, perfect love that casts out Fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So Christ relieves us of the fear of God's wrath 
Remember, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So you have this, this fear that's dealt with. And then, then we can, because of that, we can enjoy a reverent relationship and friendship with Him because He loves us so much that He died for us. We know that. It's funny, you know, there, it's funny, like, just talking about it, isn't it? There's just a sublimity with God, sublime. You know what I mean by that? It's kind of confusing. It's like, yeah, you should fear God, but then don't fear God. What do we mean by that, right? It's kind of like a natural disaster or a, a, some sort of big natural phenomenon. Maybe there's a tornado. What do people do when there's a tornado? I mean, they, they either want to run and hide or they want to get their lawn chair and get camera. You know, they want to do both at the same time. It's, it's big, it's powerful, it's scary, but it's, wow. <laughs> like, it draws your attention, kind of like Niagara Falls. Isn't that, I'm scared to death of Niagara Falls. You die if you go in there, if you go near it. At the same time, I want to stand there and take pictures and just feel its power. Um, there's sublimity with God. It's a good fear. Fear of God is a good thing. And, and you kind of want to go, whoa, like I'm a sinner. Kind of like Peter in the boat when he recognized Jesus was sovereign over the storm. And he says, whoa, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. But at the same time, Jesus says, you know, basically what he does with all the people, that an angelic presence or God stands in their presence, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's kind of what it's like with the fear of God. In Christ, we still fear God, but we don't fear God's wrath. We don't fear death, Hebrews says. We don't have to fear death because we know Jesus paid it all. And hey, in Christ, we don't have to fear loss. We don't have to fear things that we lose in life. We don't have to, we don't have to fear man. I can get up here and preach today. I'm just speaking of a personal example that was going through my mind. I don't have to fear man because I have everything I need in Christ. Even if you reject me for this message and you go home and you say, ah, it's a terrible message or whatever. I can't believe he said this or that. I don't care. <laughs> right? Why? Because I've got everything I need in Christ. I'm secure in Christ. I'm, I have my significance is in Christ. It's not in what I do. My, my significance is in heaven as a child of God. I don't care. I've got Christ's love and acceptance. These are all things that people are looking for elsewhere other than God. You know, they're trying to find it from the world. And it makes us insane because it, we're never going to find it there. And insanity could be defined as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, right? So I guess if that's you, you've been looking everywhere in the world for all of these things, love and acceptance, security, significance, um, I encourage you to turn to Christ today. He's the one who can meet all of those needs that you have deep down.